Hey, how's it going? I'm Mike. And I'm Zach. And you have just entered the Wicked Gate. Beware. conversation for today uh, is going to be surrounding disciplines right now. Uh, we're in a season um, throughout our church kind of talking about disciplines specifically in uh, our Sunday school class, uh, spiritual disciplines. That's kind of the focus. Uh, so I just kind of want to uh, kind of start off uh, for the kind of the next couple of episodes. We'll do kind of a brief overview uh, of the disciplines and then just kind of talk practically about what that stuff looks like, kind of what we're uh, trying to achieve in ministry, where, where do we get this stuff from. Um, but I want to begin like this. Uh, so both of us have had the great pleasure uh, to coach middle school, high school sports, um, probably within the past 10 years, uh, you uh, for much longer than that, um, kind of going back to your time in Pennsylvania. And so um, uh, that that for us has both been an enjoyable kind of uh, um, pastime or hobby. Um, uh, and I want to begin by putting this forth to you and we'll see kind of uh, where it goes or if you agree. Um, I would say uh, in my time as a coach, I would take uh, the discipline the discipline player uh, over a talented player almost every time uh, that uh, I had the great pleasure of seeing a lot of players at a lot of different levels. Uh, some players that took the sport soccer uh, seriously, some that uh, did not. Um, and we're just out there kind of uh, to be with friends. And what I found uh, just kind of as a coach is that if I could get the players uh, to one, do exactly what I asked them to do and two, be disciplined they were actually more successful players, no matter whether they were the most talented uh, or the least talented. Sometimes the least talented players actually were more useful for me because they did exactly what I asked them to do, which then helped them to fit kind of in the uh, in the overall scheme of what we're trying to do kind of in a, in a given game. Uh, in your experience, would you say kind of from basketball, you experience the same thing or is it a little bit different? I know height plays kind of a larger factor uh, where like soccer, it doesn't really matter what height you are. Um, so in your experience, um, what would you say? Would you say that that, that shows itself to be true or uh, does it differ? Yeah. I, generally, I think it does. It shows itself to, 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 to be true. There are outliers, obviously. Basketball is a different sport in the sense that one player really can like change things, yeah. particularly on a middle school or high school level. Once you get to, to higher levels, you definitely need to have more of that, that, that team aspect. But I'd say even if you watch college basketball and even into the NBA, like the, typically the teams with the best players are the teams that are the most competitive teams. But I think generally what you see even at those high levels, the teams that are consistently good, Right, and consistently give problems to other teams are not just the teams with like the big three players mm -hmm. that kind of started with LeBron and D Wade and, and Chris Bosch who like, yeah, it's saddened sad. your heart. <laughs> what a uh, sad he's ending. taking his talents to South Beach. <laughs> um, but like even so their first year together, like they, they struggled. Yeah. Right. Um, and they didn't end up fulfilling like all that they said, like, Four, five, yeah. <laughs> six, seven. Like they didn't, they didn't end up doing that. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And a, a, a team that became a real problem for them was the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. And again, this is not to discount the Golden State Warriors had and have highly talented players. Mm-hmm. Like when you're talking Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, back like these are some of the most talented players in the world. But if you watch the Warriors play versus watching the Heat play, right? The Heat largely playing isolation basketball. Yeah. Right. Give LeBron the basketball, give D Wade the basketball, clear space and let them do something. Let them penetrate and dish take it to the whatever, right? Whereas you watch the Warriors play, even with the talent that they had, were playing much more symmetrically as a team within the system that Steve Kerr has created. Greg Popovich is famous for this at the NBA level. Again, when his teams were highly competitive, they had some of the best players in the world. For sure. David Robinson, Tim Duncan, right? Tony Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had these guys, but, it was a system, right? And if you didn't fit in the system, then you were you were gone, right? You had to have a certain mentality. You, you had, to, had to have a willingness to, to do what the coach was telling you to do. So then take it back to the levels that I've coached at, much, much smaller, like ridiculously smaller <laughs> scales, right? Um, so at a middle school level or a high school level, one guy that's incredibly talented, particularly within a Christian school league, can change a lot. But... They, they can also, depending on their character, depending on their willingness to work or not work, can be, become like a real distraction to, to the team as well. So I would, I would affirm the premise that uh, almost always I would prefer great discipline over great talent. When you can find both of those together, that's, that's beautiful. Right? Like when you... When you can have someone who is highly talented and right, highly motivated and highly disciplined and willing to work and, and listen and be coachable, uh, that's the perfect marriage. But I remember like when you do these end-of-the-season banquets where you talk about the kids on your team, whether on a middle school or high school level. And, and I can remember on multiple occasions, and I'm thinking of certain players, where what I would say about them is like what I knew is that I could always count on them to do the right thing, right? And these were never the most talented players on the team. They weren't the team. They weren't the players who led the team in scoring or, or or things like that. But they were just incredibly dependable. That if they're on the floor, I don't really have to have my eyes on them because I know that they're going to do what we've worked on in practice. I know that they're going to work extremely hard, uh, and my focus is going to be turned to other players that I have to do in-game coaching with, right? So, so I do think basketball is a little bit different than maybe any other sport, right? Like one great baseball player on a baseball team is not taking you to the <laughs> World sure. Series. Yeah. One great player on a soccer team uh, is, is not like, which Tottenham, my, my team, is an example of that, right? right? Harry Kane's been on the team for a long time, and they have zero trophy, yeah. right? So, so one player on a soccer team isn't, doing it for you. Uh, same with football, right? Even like quarterback, the most important position on the field, like the two quarterbacks we have in the Super Bowl this year are Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. And I know all this attention is being given to Joe Burrow, Joe cool. Like he's the next big, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Right. He, he, he has the makings of what seems to be, could be a very good quarterback, <clears throat> but no one at the beginning of the season, if you were listing the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, these two guys weren't showing up on any of those lists. 
right? Um, Stafford and Burrow are not showing up on top 10 lists at the beginning of the season. So football, again, so it's in any of these types of competitive sport, team sports, right? discipline matters greatly. And what I would even say is the individual great players, again, uh, I'll reference basketball, like what these guys were known for as much as their talent was their grind, mm -hmm. right? So you think about Jordan, right? What was like the, the 30 for 30 special that they that, that they ran? Like what, what did you see about Jordan? Like he's a monster, right? Like he, he, he would accept nothing less than full effort, not just from himself, but from everybody around him. Then you think about Kobe, right? This is what's talked about with Kobe. Like, just, he's a grinder, right? Like, put in more effort and disciplined his life in such a way that that allowed him to achieve what he was able to achieve. LeBron, same way, right? And he, Tom Brady, who just retired, I'm not a fan of, but mm -hmm. respect, right? Like, disciplined his body, right? Ate a certain way, worked out a certain way, and he's able to play at a high level, as a quarterback in the NFL until he's 64, however old he is, right? Like something nuts. So all of that to say, yeah, discipline matters at every level, no matter how talented or gifted you may be. If you lack the discipline, you're not going to achieve what your talents would say you should achieve, right? And we could talk about lots of examples, again, in the sports world of that, like highly talented athletes, that lack the discipline and they faded, right? They just, they, they like guys get drafted high, uh, coming out of high school, they're big names going to college or coming out of college, big names going into the, uh, into the NBA or, or NFL and their lives were not disciplined lives and they fade. Yeah. Zion will <laughs> <laughs> maybe man that's it sad so, so sad <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it's interesting because uh, as I think about the Premier League this year I think uh, and just the um, shambolic way that uh, uh, Manchester United has kind of uh, Derek's gonna be so sad uh, <laughs> but uh, he probably would agree that the the way in which they've gone about um, kind of this season uh, is shows the reality of this I think as a Manchester City fan I think what I would put forth is that Manchester City uh, is who they uh, have come to be because of their coach, uh, because the coach demands uh, discipline with the system that he has kind of set forth. Now, he himself uh, may be a genius, uh, and so like he might see the game in ways that other people can't see the game, uh, but what every single player um, kind of in the past, at least, that has been coached under him, they all point to the fact uh, that he's really detailed and that he demands that you pay attention uh, to the details or he sells you. Uh, and say, he'll find and if you a, don't. You're yeah. gone. You're, you're gone. And so uh, what it, what he would uh, probably say is that all of his players are disciplined, that there are certain patterns that they go over, over, and over, and over again uh, from kind of his ability to look at patterns of other teams and then kind of uh, systematize those things and kind of see wh what his team needs to do in order sure. uh, to kind of uh, impact games against their upcoming opponent. And then they do those things over and over and over again so that then he's created habits that his players then move in. He doesn't care about who they were before. Sure, he would buy them because of certain talents that they have. Right foot, left foot, you're really good at kind of hitting the ball this way or, you know, you you can uh, pass, you have good technical skill kind of um, uh, from just a foundational kind of soccer understanding. But 
when it comes to in-game situations, what he's done is he's created a disciplined hole uh, from player one to player uh, number 12, uh, you know, uh, from player number 25, whoever's on the roster. Uh, there's an understanding that they are disciplined and they know what to do uh, once they get on the field. And I would say that as I've looked at Tottenham, that's what's happening now. That's the uh, hope. That's the that's, hope. That's yep. the hope that Tottenham fans have right now is yep. that a coach has come in the door that is at that same level of a, a pep or a, a clop and institutes a system. And you're either a part of that system or you're out of the club, right? Which is evidenced by this latest January window where Tottenham sells off four guys who were major signings or major players for them at different points in time. One of them's a newer, younger signing, and they just didn't fit into Conte's system, right? So you're shown the door. Then you bring in players that you believe can fit into that system. Um, yeah. And that's what, that, that's what gives the team hope that they don't have as much talent as Manchester United. That's just the reality on paper. Manchester United should be a far better team than they're showing themselves to be. Um, but if you're able to play within a proper system that a coach who's like you say, able to see the game in a way that other coaches are not, you can have success on a team level. And this is, I mean, yeah, not, neither of us are disappointed at, Manchester United's fall nope. um, <laughs> in, in any way. But I, I've talked to you about this. I talked to Derek about this, who's a Man U fan at our church. Um, that like, I, It's hard for me not to think that Ronaldo doesn't have something to do with this. Right? Yeah. You bring in this personality who's extremely talented, right? and your team gets disrupted. Now, all of that's not on him. Everybody's got responsibility for themselves, and they've changed coaches and now they have an interim so there's lots of factors but the reality is is that for the last handful of years the teams that Ronaldo has been on haven't been incredibly successful mm -hmm. even while having maybe the most talented player in the world yeah. uh, on their on their roster so um, talent talent can only get you so far and what I would say as I know that we're going to this isn't a sports podcast, uh, so apologies to folks who may be listening and are yeah. like, "People are going to be angry for this first fifteen yeah, minutes." Transition to, to 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 the gospel at any point. So I know the transition that we'll make at some point is like to to, to our Christian lives. The place that talent gets you is self serving, right? Where discipline gets you is right to to a place where you are able to be a part of a whole and not the whole in its entirety. And I think that's a big nuance as we think about the disciplined life versus the talented life. And again, that's not to say that those two can't merge. They absolutely can. And But I think for the one who is simply talented but lacks discipline, that they only serve to advance self, and they are the entirety of the whole themselves rather than the, the disciplined person is able to exist as an aspect of the whole uh, that doesn't simply point to themselves. It's so sad uh, that like right now, 
in our time of actually recording, we're probably like an hour in, uh, <laughs> a little bit over an hour in with some setup time on the front end of that. Uh, but we just recorded uh, probably like 25 minutes that was lost uh, because I never pressed record. Uh, and so we stopped after we talked about the soccer stuff. This was supposed to be a transitional moment. And sadly, uh, the Lord chose to chasing me at that moment. I guess not sadly. I'm thankful for it. I'm real <laughs> yeah, humble right now. Yeah. I'm soft. Yeah, he disciplines the one he <laughs> yeah, loves. Sure, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> I realize how silly I am uh, and that I forgot to press uh, record. Um, so uh, we'll transition uh, like this. Uh, so I think and uh, kind of talking about and uh, making the argument for disciplines just kind of from the sports world. I think uh, there are a lot of different uh, other arguments that you could look at, whether it be marriage or your uh, life when it comes to uh, your job or school. Um, what would you say kind of are some of the common pushbacks uh, for, for the most ardent uh, opponent? What are the pushbacks that you probably hear the most in your time in ministry uh, to, to the disciplines, uh, whether they're good or not? Just kind of what are some of the most common ones that uh, maybe even people in our community, most certainly probably people in our community are, are feeling or kind of are running through their minds um, when presented with kind of a structured, even historic uh, spiritual disciplines? Sure. Yeah. Mind you, I would say none of these arguments are good arguments or strong arguments, but I think the, the maybe the most common and quasi-biblical, what I mean by that is they try to root it in biblical language, would be to say, I'm not really about the disciplines because I'm all about grace. Right? It feels too law-based to them. Right? You're telling me that I got to read my Bible and study my Bible on a daily basis. I got to pray every day in some sort of uh, regimented way. I've got to build things like fasting into my life and growing a deeper love for worship and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think folks hear that and because it presses in on them, their response is to say, listen, I'm a, I'm a grace guy. I'm not really a law guy. And that feels too, too, too law-based to me. And the, the reality is, is that if we're speaking about soteriology and how we are saved and justified before God, then we're with them, mm -hmm. right? Like we want to be grace folks and not law folks. Yeah. In order to say, if you were to say, in order to be accepted by God, you have to do this. Correct. That's exactly right. So these disciplines are in no way salvific. These, these disciplines don't justify us before a living God. So if we want to have that conversation with the grace over law guy, then we're with him. But I think what we're talking about and the challenge against someone who would be like, I'm a grace guy and not a law guy, is that's not how holiness works. That's not how progressive sanctification works, right? That there is actual effort that is involved, right? That as we say here with some regularity, to follow Christ is a daily grind, right? It, it, it takes this waking up each and every day and then walking throughout our day, making intentional decision after intentional decision to try to exalt and lift up Christ in our lives and draw closer and closer to him. And these disciplines are given to us to, to meet that, to, to meet those ends. So I think, I think you can hear that from folks. Uh, that that I'm a I'm a grace guy and not a, a law guy, and I think you can you can easily put push that aside. Uh, I think you can hear uh, it at times fr from folks when they're when they want to oppose 
the the idea of disciplines is this idea of freedom mm. in Christ, uh, and again that relates pretty closely to the the grace and law thing. But like I've been set free, I've been set free from those things. I can just experience Christ. We as we're talking about in our uh, our wit classes here at the the church, like this existentialism that has invaded culture over the last couple hundred years um, that, that elevates this idea of experience to a place of sovereignty in our world that makes it authoritative so that we experience like that's good for you right if you read your Bible every day it works right I'm glad that that works for you but I experience God in different ways right I've been I've been set free to to know him in different ways and I think my my response to that is yeah but on what grounds? Do you know him? If you are using things that God himself has not given us as tools to know him, are you assured that you're knowing him rightly? Are you assured that you're experiencing him rightly? Uh, is, is the pursuit of a relationship with Christ only rooted in emotionalism and, in, and sensationalism that comes about because of whatever experiences you may or may not be having? And what happens when those things wane? What happens when the emotionalism isn't there, right? So it's it's the same way of a relationship with a spouse or our children or a, a good friend. Right? To, uh, to to say that I've uh, I've been just set free, like I don't need to do like these exact things in order to love my wife or to to, to love my children or to love a friend, and I can just uh, experience them however I want to experience them makes the relationship solely about you and what you are comfortable with and never pushes you to, to sacrifice or make effort towards, uh, towards pursuit of them. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what these things reveal in people really, I think is one of just a couple things. It's either re revealing great laziness in them or shame and guilt, right? They're, they're either, uh, they're either, either just lazy folks who don't want to be given anything else to do, or they know the things that they should. They know they're convinced already of, of the biblical call to pursue spiritual disciplines uh, on on a daily and regular basis, but they feel this deep sense of shame and guilt that they're not doing it. That they then cover up those feelings with kind of red herring or arguments for, for for why they don't need to do what scripture tells them to do. What, what, one, what a sad movement, um, which we all come probably fall into where like we have those moments where we feel shame, which is right <laughs> because of things that we uh, yeah. should be doing that we uh, have not done. And in, instead of um, kind of changing the transgression and going back and doing what we actually should do, we just become shameless and, uh, stack we, yeah, we stack them up and we argue our way into shamelessness of just like, I definitely don't want to feel that, that bad. So like, let me just tell you reasons why that then helped me to not feel as bad, uh, which doesn't fix uh, the, the problem uh, at hand. But uh, when I when you speak about work, I think kind of right away, think about the fact that the, the modern man, uh, me included, uh, really uh, does not like work, uh, that there is um, kind of this uh, adversity between work uh, and the modern man uh, that didn't exist in the garden, that kind of in God's good created world, uh, Adam was still uh, working, that work was present there, and that now that we are brought in Christ, um, to some, brought into something uh, that is going to be far better uh, 
than uh, kind of uh, what was there in the garden. Uh, this is our hope uh, of the, uh, the 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 new world, the new Jerusalem with with Christ. Um, Work is still involved. That that work hasn't ceased. That work did become burdensome because of the fall. But now in Christ, the work that we are performing now um, gifts great joy uh, and gifts great joy uh, and um, kind of prepares us for uh, that which we hope for. So so it's it's interesting that uh, for Christians that there is uh, an adversity uh, kind of, of towards uh, towards work uh, that's present there. Uh, so uh, kind of with these disciplines, what would you say? we are trying to prepare people for where, where are we trying to take them? So if, if there's a necessity for preparation and kind of the dis- disciplines would fall under this umbrella of these are all preparatory things, what are we trying to prepare them for? Um, what, what are our responsibilities? Why do we feel like we have to try to apply? Why do pastors specifically feel like they have to try to apply these disciplines or they're calling their people to have these things be regular uh, within their lives? Yeah. I think as we think about, our role as shepherds that God has granted to us as under shepherds. Um, These disciplines serve to lead our folks to the two desired ends that we want them to, to find. One is a, a greater witness to the glory and majesty of God. And two is deeper communion with the triune God himself. Right? And th- these, these tools have been given to us for that purpose. Right? That's that's why, like, if we would say to someone, hey, do, you, do you want to be a more faithful witness and draw into greater intimacy with the triune God? Anyone who's been made new by the power of the Spirit is excited about that. Yes, it's exactly what I'm, I'm wanting, right? Well, here you go. Scripture has has modeled for us in the lives of, of men and women throughout God's redemptive history, that these are the tools, these are the means that we've been given to meet those ends. We've been created in the image of God. Why? To reflect him, right? So that's like, that's, and not, we're not ordering necessarily one over the other, but like one of our primary purposes is to image or reflect uh, the, the creator, this is why we were created in the image of God. What does an image do? It projects, right? It gives, it gives evidence for and authority to who the creator is. It speaks about them. And the disciplines allow us to more faithfully image the creator God. And so we take hold of these disciplines because they lead us to that end. And then... Second, and again, not necessarily ordering, but I'd maybe put this one slightly ahead of the first, is what the disciplines do is they draw us closer. And as we think about relationship, as we think about like communing with the God who longs to dwell with us, right? This, you could look at this theme throughout Scripture, like that, that God has regularly shown himself to be a God who, who seeks to dwell with his people from the garden to brokenness, and then the covenants that God makes is all about not just us being his people, like like God being our God and and us being his people and God showing up along the way. And that tabernacle word, like this idea of tabernacling with his people. And then comes Christ called Emmanuel, God with us. So as we have been created to share in 
communion with a God who dwells with us. The disciplines allow us to take hold of that in a more significant way. And again, they're not salvific, right? We can be made new by the Holy Spirit of God right? and, and then go great seasons of our lives without faithfully practicing these disciplines. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we weren't truly made new by the Spirit of God. But these tools have been given to us and, and should, be, should be sought after because we've been made new. Like mm-hmm. This is what Christ has done. I want to know him more, and I want to display him more. How do I do that? The disciplines are the answer to that question, right? And they're not pulled from nowhere, right? They, again, they're rooted in Scripture, in the lives of people that we can see, whether that's David and his movement towards prayer and towards worship, whether that's Paul and his movements towards the study and application of the, the, the Word of God and his calls to, to, to prayer and fasting, whether it's the, the person of Christ himself, right, who has, at the very beginning of his ministry, has taken off in, in, into the wilderness and is tempted. What does he draw on? He draws on his knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Right? And then we see him drawing away from the crowds at times and practicing solitude. We see him on his knees in prayer before his Father on multiple uh, occasions. Right? We have these examples uh, of of these disciplines happening in the lives of our Savior himself, who is this model for us of what it looks like to pursue the glory of God in totality in human form, something that we understand we don't ever achieve fully, uh, but but he becomes our, our, a great picture of this for us and in the lives of, of other men and women throughout Scripture. And then even we see where those things are lacking in the lives of men and women throughout Scripture, where it seems like they lack discipline of any kind, right? And then God has to invade their lives, right? And graciously wake them up to, to their folly as, as they pursue sin and as they run from God. And then God shakes them. And then what you see in so many of th- those stories is what they turn to immediately are the disciplines. Mm. They turn to the reading of God's word, a reestablishing of the covenant promises of God's word, a turn to prayer, uh, 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 these these types of these types of movements, and as we look at Scripture, this becomes the ultimate way that you try to patiently walk with folks who would have any opposition to the disciplines. You just like let me just show you Scripture, right? And if the Spirit is alive in them, then Scripture is going to do the work that Scripture does, right? But that's that's how you convince folks is you show them in Scripture how God has given us these tools and how they have practically been at work in folks' lives, not just to make them great examples of, of faith, but to, to graciously draw them into deeper relationship with the triune God. And then I think as we see that, as we show our folks that, it becomes more and more compelling as the Spirit does that work right in our souls and our hearts and our minds, becomes more compelling then to do the hard work of trying to regiment and, and structure our lives in such a way that, that we would begin pursuing these things in the way that right, Paul himself talks about. Paul uses athletic analogies of, like, I don't box as one beating the air. Right? I'm not aimless in my pursuits. Right? But I discipline my body. Like, I've got this race to run. 
I, I, I've got this course set before me. So I do what's necessary. I beat my body and I make it my own so that I may pursue that upward call of, of, of knowing Christ. Right? That, that, that's like this great example of we discipline our lives for the purpose of the glory of God and of knowing Christ more deeply. Yeah, man. Yeah, what a good, what a good uh, way uh, for us to end uh, with uh, just the reality that what we're trying to usher people in, what we are trying to experience ourselves uh, is deeper communion uh, with uh, the Lord and in turn uh, be able to shine forth into this world kind of a, a more beautiful, more faithful picture of Him and the disciplines or graces of God in order to lead us uh, within that. 